Thanks, sir. And if you are not new here and you've never been back there, I encourage you to go back there. I went back there last week. It's amazing. And setup crew, thank you so much. I, I had seen this part of the setup, but I had no idea that there was all of that going back there. And so those who are a part of that ministry to us, we're so grateful for all that you do. I have a special guest with me this morning. Tiago and Barbara are here from Brazil. And so we welcome them this morning. They are some dear friends that we've known throughout the years. Very interested in what he's doing down in Brazil. He's setting up a missionary training center there, especially focused on trying to get missionaries into the 1040 window. And so it's very important what they're doing there. And so they're in the States for a wedding, and then they came in to visit some friends. And we were fortunate to be one of those friends that they came in to visit. Matt Janney's in the house as well. And so I met him this morning. Where did I see him? Right back here. You're a good-looking guy. I, I, I was When your dad introduced me to you, I was thinking, how? In the, and then I remembered your mom. I was like, oh, okay, that's how, that's how he became such a good-looking guy. You're, you're really fortunate to have those maternal genes going through your system. But anyone else here just this morning? I, I mean, I don't, every, y'all look new to me, so... Um, But welcome this morning. We're glad to have you. So if your Bibles are not opened up to Luke chapter 11, why don't you go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in the Lord's Prayer this morning. And can you see up here the necessity and privilege of dependence? Let's go back to that slide. The necessity and privilege of, go back one to the title again. The necessity and privilege of dependency. Um, This is what this prayer is about, is, is our dependency in the Lord If I were to put an alternate title on it, it would be, what does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? Remember last week's passage, um, we have Mary and Martha. Martha was busy in the kitchen and Mary chose the good thing. What does it mean to choose the good thing? It's interesting that Luke puts this teaching on the Lord's Prayer right after that. But I felt heavy about this particular message as I've been thinking through the Lord's um, Prayer and what it means to us. And there's a part of me that wishes we could just stay here for two hours this morning and think about this. There's a part of you that's glad we're not. But I really wish that we could just linger in what it means to be in prayer. And I think it's really important for us to think about choosing the good thing like Mary did. And as I talk with people in their lives, I know the struggles of prayer. I know from my own life the struggles of prayer. And it is mind-boggling that any of us would ever struggle with prayer when we can commune with the eternal God, creator of the universe, spoken of the existence of the world, and, and we have an issue in our life, and we go all these other directions trying to get it resolved rather than utter the words, our Father, the one who cares for us. But we are called to pray. But I imagine that at some point in your life, you've seen prayer as a little bit of a setup. Let me explain to you what I mean. God is sovereign. He's in control, which means that any little prayer you utter, he could answer in a moment, just boom, he could answer it. Since he knows your thoughts, he could answer it before you even ask it. And yet he calls us to ask him, and then he doesn't answer. I would imagine you've been there before, And so you read a passage like this, and I think it can actually stir in some of us maybe a little bit of anxiety or maybe even a little bit of anger. There's a guy I work out with who says, he says to me, I quit praying because God doesn't answer. Now, he doesn't know the Lord, and I'm praying that he will come to know the Lord one day, 
But there's so much that this can stir up inside of us. God can do it, and he doesn't. We have prayed, and a spouse left us, or our marriage became worse. We have prayed, and our friend or loved one is still not saved. We have prayed, and the person still died of cancer. We have prayed, and our child still walks away from the Lord. We have prayed, and a certain relationship that mattered to us never got better, and there's still a division in the relationship. We have prayed, and we still lost our house. We have prayed, and we didn't get the job. Or worse, we lost the job that we had. We have prayed, and we didn't make the team or the squad, whatever it might be. We have prayed, and the ridicule and the bullying didn't stop. We have prayed, and the sexual abuse or the emotional abuse or the physical abuse continued. We have prayed in the battles with our addictions, food or some kind of sexual or pornography or alcohol or drugs. We prayed that they would go away and they continued to rage. And we've often wondered, whatever that prayer would be for you, we've wondered, where is God in all of this? God, if you're so sovereign, if you say like you do in Luke 11, come to me and pray, ask me what kind of father would not give Where were you when I needed you most? Being a parent has taught me a lot about prayer, about father-to-child relationship, a whole lot about it. I want my children. I've wanted them through the years to express a dependency to me. I wanted them to grow through that. I want relationship with them. I want to be of help to them. I want them to grow. And my children are strongly, even stubbornly independent. And rather than come to their father, they would decide ahead of time what I was going to say. Rather than come and say, Dad, I need this, or could you help me? They just decide ahead of time. Now, that could be because I've got a pattern of being an awful father or a pattern of not doing what they want me to do. Maybe they have good reason And maybe we've established that pattern with the Lord too. Lord, over and over I've brought something to you and you've rejected it. You haven't answered me. And sometimes with my children, I would watch them walk through difficulty and everything inside of me wanted to come alongside and help. And they didn't ask for it. They continued to stubbornly go on their way. And I used to think, I've got the resources I've got the energy. I know people. You know, whatever it might be, I could help them. And they just walk away and do it on their own. Sometimes I stepped in and sometimes I didn't. Well, that brings us to Luke chapter 11. I don't know what your story is or what you might have gone through or what you're going through in prayer. I don't know what your prayer life is like right now. But let's read this passage together and let's see what God wants to teach us this morning. Follow along as I read. I want to begin back in verse 1 where we already read. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive one another who is indebted to us, everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? As we work our way through this passage, what's it like being a Heavenly Father? Jesus is basically saying this. Hey, disciples, listen up. I want to pull back heaven a little bit, and I want to give you some insight into your Father. I want to tell you about Him. I'll teach you how to pray. It's all about who God is. And I want to tell you some things about him. And how might prayer begin to change the way we view our world, the way we view our lives? That's what I think this prayer wants to do for us today. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, I know that there are, everyone in this room is at a different place with what it means to pray. And Lord, I know in America there are even lines in this prayer that make no sense to us. We don't think about our daily bread. And Lord, I know that there are no doubt struggles with who you are by people in this room. And there are certain statements in this prayer that astound us, ask and it will be given. And we don't know what to do with all that. But Lord, we pray today that you will teach us And that you will stir in each one of us a deepened desire to know you and to sit at your feet and choose the good part. And so we pray that you would work in our time that we have together this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's see what we can do with the time that we have left. The first thing you can see um, up on the screen there is the request in chapter 11.1. So... It's interesting to look at the Gospels. I don't know if you've ever studied the Gospels. I always, whatever we're preaching on in Luke, I like to go to the other Gospels and see what's going on. The the Gospels are not necessarily put together historically. There's usually a theological purpose that drives it. And so you'll find the Lord's Prayer in different places. I'm going to refer to the the passage in Matthew. But in this particular um, Gospel with Luke, it is very interesting that it seems to follow this Mary-Martha story. Mary has chosen the good part. And now Jesus is going to insert this prayer. There's a request, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus is going to teach them about it. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13 is where the other Lord's Prayer passage is found. I'm actually going to put that up on the screen for you in a little bit. But it's interesting in Matthew chapter 6 that we have a different context that Matthew uses theologically to make this point. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, listen to this. 
Jesus is in a, a long teaching frame, uh, mindset. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Matthew. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, don't be this certain person before other people so that they can think, wow, you're super dude, super Christian. He says, don't practice your righteousness like that. Did you see what I just put in the offering plate? If you didn't see, it was this much. That's the kind of person I am. Jesus is saying, you be careful of things like that. Because the way you live right now, you're storing up treasures in heaven. Don't get your reward here on earth. He goes on in Matthew chapter 6, specifically about prayer, and says this. Again, this is the context. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Have you ever had a meal with other Christians and you pause to pray something that you normally wouldn't do by yourself, but you did that because they were there and you wanted to be seen by them? Have you ever done things like that? See, these things in the Bible, they, they speak to our lives. And maybe you haven't done that. I've done that. I am Dave Talley. I've prayed to be seen by others. Um, but it goes on and says, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. They've gotten it. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is, who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And then He goes into the Lord's Prayer. That's a very different context than what we have here in Luke chapter 11. And what we have here, we're just going to look our, work our way through it. The, the point in Matthew and the point here, though, is about intimacy. If you want to do this for other people, you can get your reward on earth. And that's hypocritical. But, but if you want to do this with the Lord, there's something intimate about it. Go into your private place. Your prayer closet is where we get the term from. There, in secret, you pray to the Lord. You plead with him. And it's not saying don't pray corporately. There's a corporate sense to this prayer. But it's not to be seen by others. And so we've got the prayer in verses 2 through 4. But then in verses 5 through 13, we have two illustrations. And I want to pull out some principles from this. So... We have the, the prayer, verses 11, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. We've already looked at that part of it. When someone, but let me just say this. When someone breaks out into the Lord's Prayer and you're in a public place and they start singing the, uh, saying the Lord's Prayer, the, there's certain parts that we all mumble over, isn't there? Because there's different versions of this. And so do I say, pray for our debts or our sins? Or you know, what am I supposed to be saying? Our Father who art in heaven? I mean, what, what, how does this work? Because we've heard different ways. You've got all these different translations through the years. King James English. And then you've got the New American Standard. New International Version. All these different ways that the prayer is said. And it could just create problems for us. Now, let's look at the Matthew chapter 19 in verse 6. You can see, the, yeah, go, yeah, right there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so, you know, you've got a little bit of a, a difference there. Our Father in heaven. Let's go to the next slide and so show some of the differences that we have here. 
at the beginning part of the prayer, it includes our in Matthew, and then it has this in heaven idea. And then you can also see there, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. It's just instead of each, it says this day there. And then forgive us our debts. Whereas in, here in Luke, it says, forgive us our sins. And so debt and debtors, sins, and those who are indebted to us. So you've got a lot of different ways to understand this. But look at the end of the verse. Look at that next slide. You can really see there, Luke's going to end with, and lead us not to temptation, but Matthew's going to continue, but delivers from evil. And then in brackets, because many manuscripts do not have this last part, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I love the way that ends. I want that included in my Bible. Whether it belongs there or not, it's good theology of what fits at the end there. And so there's a lot of different ways of looking at this. But I want us to, to work our way through this and pull out some principles. I'm going to combine the two prayers so we can get the best of both worlds. But the first point, we are in relationship. We are in relationship. You can see there, if you look at the next slide, it says, um, our, it says, Father, do we have a next slide? There we go. Let's go to the next slide after that one. And even the next one. I want to get to Father down there. And even in the next slide where we have in Luke, it says, our Father. So we pull these together. That was what we did with communion. This morning, the point is, we are in a relationship. And it's a relationship that we have that's possible only because of the gospel. And I'm not going to go over that again, but you've got to understand, I can't just glide over this, because before we get into the rest of the prayer, the gospel's got to be front and center in our lives. There is no prayer apart from the gospel. There is no going to this eternal God whom we are separated from apart from the fact that we can call him our father because of what he's accomplished for us in Jesus. And so what is our takeaway from this particular prayer? We are to move toward this relationship. We are to pray. This is our father, our father in heaven. We are to pray to him. And so an application for this message is, if you're not praying, start. Because he's your father. And the gospel has made that possible for us to have that kind of relationship with him. In pain, when you are in pain, when you are in difficulty, here's the question, where do you go first? You see, that's what we have to deal with. Oftentimes we go to, I wish we had time to unpack this, we go to our idols. So so oftentimes people feel disconnected with the Old Testament because it's all about idolatry. We don't let, no, we do have our idols, Whatever it is that makes us feel better when we're in pain, when we're in difficulty, that's what we bow down to. Alcohol, drugs, sexual things, food, whatever it might be, anger, I'll destroy the person who's causing me pain, whatever it is, we bow down to these things. Deliver me for you are my God. And Jesus says, no, you you go to your father. That's where you're going to find deliverance. We, We could take a whole message unpacking that. Let's move toward that relationship. That's what we celebrate in the gospel. We don't just eat the bread and drink the cup because we're at church and everybody else is doing it. We are celebrating something that's phenomenal that we have in Jesus. We can say our Father. We can move toward that relationship. Now, but what can we learn about this relationship in this particular prayer? Look at the next point that we have here. Not only are we in a relationship, but we are also subordinate. And so let's look at what Luke says When you pray, say, Father, hallowed 
be your name. Your kingdom come. And when we also look over and when we add Luke to it, I mean, that's why I love to add Luke here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and go on further. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As you are reigning on your throne in heaven and having your way, may you also have that way on earth in my life and in the life of people around me. And you get to the end, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You see, we are subordinate. There's a posture to our prayer. We aren't walking in telling God what to do. We have relationship with him, but we are subordinate in that relationship. We are human beings who don't know enough about life in this world and what's going to happen and what's good for us, but we've got an eternal father who does, and we are subordinate to him. This is a reorienting our lives to the sovereignty of the Lord who is over all the earth and therefore over our lives as well. We reorient, and I think church is so much about that, where we are reorienting and refocusing the purpose of our daily lives to his purposes. So oftentimes our prayers have nothing to do with the Lord's purposes in our lives. Lord, get me out of this jam. Instead of, Lord, what are you doing right now? I remember having a conversation with a friend, and I, in fact, I just got my jury duty summons in the mail. And I was griping and complaining about jury duty. I got to go all the way down there to stupid jury duty. And my friend said, why might the Lord be sending you down there on this day? You see the reorientation that just took place? And I went down there, and I was so excited about why the Lord had me down there. And so I'm getting to know the people around me like, man, this is going to be a mission field for me. And then I got released from jury duty. I said, what in the world, Lord? I was ready. And so then I got in my car. Because my heart was reoriented, I said, you know, the guys I play basketball with are getting ready to play basketball. That's my next step. I'm going there. I got free time now to go play basketball with these guys. Can you imagine what it is to refocus our entire lives on what it is that the Lord wants to do? And instead of, Lord, get me out of this, to begin to look at whatever this is as being something that he wants for us. Something where we can grow and where we can learn. Our to-do list becomes his. Our agenda becomes his. This past week I was in Indianapolis. I'm the faculty athletics representative for uh, Bible University as we move into uh, NCAA Division II athletics. And so this was a gathering of all the faculty athletics representatives. And the Lord gave me a burden while I was there. The coach at Butler University, basketball coach, I go way back with him at Taylor University, and we had some really significant um, discussions while he was playing basketball at Taylor. I was able to disciple him and walk him through some difficult things. I've been able to watch his career advance throughout the years, and I knew he wasn't doing really good spiritually, and I felt burdened that even though I had all these meetings that the Lord wanted me to go there to Butler University and talk to this coach, and I had a word from him from the Lord. And I, so I texted him, and he said, ah, my day's busy, uh, maybe afternoon. And I had another friend coming in at 4.30, and I thought, man, he's going to put me off. I'm not standing for it. I got into a taxi. I went over to Butler. I took a picture of me in front of his front door, Butler University basketball, boom. I said, I'm here. Just let me know when you have time. Immediately, I got a text back. He said, I'm just walking up. And I said, thank you, Lord. 
And I said, I'm going to be faithful to this time. I went into his office and I said, I brought a word from the Lord for you. I preached on this a few weeks back here. I said, what will it, gain a man, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And man, we had a great conversation about life and about living for Jesus and the platform that he has, that he's not just a basketball coach of Butler, but he's an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ in that institution with those guys. And when he's interviewed on the ESPN, he is an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We had a great conversation about that. What does it mean to refocus and for me to live with that kind of mindset? Lord, how do you want to use me today? To where I do bizarre things like get in a taxi, go to Butler University, take my picture, send it to him, said, I'm waiting. When I could sit there and wait all day long. He's a busy man. And what does it mean for him to think about that position that he has? And what does it mean to live for Jesus Christ? What about your life this morning? You are subordinate. And so as we pray, think about how this affects the way we pray. So oftentimes as Americans, and I think it's different even in other parts of the world, but it's a gimme, 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 God. Give me, change this, solve this, get rid of this, make it better. Do away with this. Get rid of this problem instead of, Lord, I'm subordinate to you. This is your work that you're doing. Your will be done. If you want me to walk through that, I'll walk through it to the praise and glory of your name. We are subordinate in this relationship. And God knows what he's doing in this world. What does the Westminster Catechism say? It says, what is the chief in a man? And man's chief in is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so as we go through our day, whatever trial it is that you're going through right now, I have no idea what it's going to look like on the other side, but I do know you can trust your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and you can walk through it. I do know that you are subordinate to him and it's not about you, it's the work that he's doing in this world and he wants to use you. He wants to use me. And difficulty is oftentimes a part of that. We live in a messed up world. There's all kind of pain, all kind of sorrow. And we want to say, Lord, take it away. Get in. And the Lord says, I want to work right through the midst of that. I got you right where I want you. Oh, isn't that so hard to trust? That he has us right where he wants us when we want nothing more than to have it changed. And so we've got to keep in mind, number one, we're in a relationship Number two, but we're subordinate in that relationship. What do we learn from being subordinate in this relationship? We are to submit in this relationship. Move toward the relationship, but submit in that relationship. It's so important for us to understand that. And that brings us to our next point. Our next point is number three, that we are, we are dependent as well. Notice what it says in the prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. There is a dependency and there is an asking that takes place. And there are three areas where Jesus says, you make sure you pray in this way. And the first one is for our daily needs. Give us each day. Now look at what it says in... In, the, in Luke, and then also in Matthew, you see that it says this day instead of each day. This day is a focus on right now, Lord. I'm looking to you to supply for me. And we don't often think that way. But everything in our life we can put in that category, not just our, our daily bread, but everything about life. Whereas when you look at the Luke account, eat, uh, um, Luke account is this day, isn't that right? And the, this is the ESV is each day. 
It has a, a, a looking towards the future. Every single day, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm not looking at my bank account, not looking at my job. I'm looking to you for your provision for me. And so give us this day our daily bread, recognizing God's daily care for us. The fact that he's watching over us. We've got to see our dependency. In Matthew chapter 6, it also talks about being anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. The, the flowers of the field, they're not anxious. The birds of the air, they're not anxious. That's God's creation, and so are you. And he's going to take care of you in the same way he takes care. When I am a part of a wedding ceremony and I watch two people coming together, and these two people generally have been looking to their parents to supply for them all their lives. And now they walk into marriage and start thinking about health insurance and rent and all these things. And so I say to them, in the same way God has supplied for you through your parents, he will continue now to supply through you. You will have stories to tell. Watch what God does. Keep a journal. Watch it. God is going to meet you in your place of need because that's who God is. But also for forgiveness, we see as another um, aspect, and let's when we pull the two together, again, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Matthew 6, 12 uses debts as we also forgive our debtors. So it's just a little bit different there. And there's so much I would love to say about each one of these. We've got to just keep on moving through all this. But the, the assumption is that we are forgiving. That's the point that I want to pull out of this. In fact, when you go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, you ought to write that down because you ought to look at it later on. Coming out of this prayer, Jesus makes a very strong point. And he says this. He says, if you don't forgive others, this is my own quick translation. If you are not forgiving others, you will not be forgiven. Now remember, Matthew 6, the whole context there is don't be like the hypocrites. In other words, who bask in God's forgiveness, but refuse to extend that forgiveness to others. Jesus says, don't be that way. As your Father has forgiven you, and again, this is where we get back to the Lord's Supper. And I know that forgiveness is, can be difficult in many situations. There, there are certain situations that a number of you probably have gone through in this room. I won't even begin to pretend to know what I would do as if I was in your shoes. The pain has been so intense. I, I, I can't imagine things like sexual abuse. Sexual abuse, those kind of things make me want to go crazy and kill people. I mean, hurt people. The thought of anyone doing that to my wife or my daughter could just, I'm afraid of what would be inside of me. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Am I the only one? Am I just really making myself look bad? I, I'm afraid of what could come out of me apart from the work of the gospel. And Jesus says, you have been forgiven much. And you need to extend that to others. But it's part of the prayer. Forgive our sins, Lord. John 13, 35 says, how is the world going to know we're disciples? It's because we have love for one another. Forgiveness is going to be a huge part of that. And there can be all kind of stuff in the church that makes it hard for us to forgive. Bitterness and anger and jealousy and strife. And Paul says, and you've got to put that aside. We've got to forbear with one another. And it's part of the Lord's prayer. But we also have for protection. 
I'm just sorry we have to move through these so quick. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew 6, 13, again, when we see the addition there, and deliver us, not, and deliver us from evil. This is the requesting of divine enablement. Lord, sovereign one over all the earth, don't take me to a place where I'm going to fall apart and I'm going to lose it. And I'm going to walk away from you. Lord, be merciful to me. Deliver us from that temptation. Don't lead us where we're not prepared for it. I love 1 Corinthians 10, verses 11 through 14 in this, where he says, He will not tempt us beyond what we are able, but will provide for us a way of escape. One of the major ways that God works in our life is going through hard times. But he's not going to take us through such a hard time that we're going to cave in and walk away. He will give us a way of escape. Will we take that way of escape? That's up to us. But he will provide that. And so the prayer is, Lord, lead us not there. And there's a lot of discussion about what this could mean. Trials that may seem to overwhelm us and we just give up on the Lord and walk away from him. Or temptations to believe false teaching that leads us away from the Lord. That was the problem in the early church or temptations of the world that lure our hearts away. First Peter chapter two, these um, worldly fl- lusts that wage war against your soul. Those kind of temptations. Persecutions that might cause us to reject Christ. Whatever it might be, we've gotta be mindful of these in prayer. We are, we are subordinate, we are dependent. Lord, help us with this. Today is where we observe in the church Fatherless Sunday, as well as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so you can see in your bulletin, you have a little handout there about ways to pray for our persecuted church family. And you will find on that back table, there's a back table back here where you can get little pamphlets that explain about what's happening with the persecuted church around the world in Hebrews that's uh, Hebrews 13, 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. That's that corporate sense. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are up against these trials and temptations and they're saying, Lord, help us. And today we remember them as a body of Christ. And there are ways that you can pray for these believers. North Korea is the worst place to live. It's been on the the highest persecuted country for the last 14 straight years. This is a survey that's put up by Open Doors down in Santa Ana. You ought to go down there and visit their office down there. But some of the hardest hit are children. I brought this because I got some wristbands back there for sale. And I just asked for a $5 donation. You can take one if you want to. It reminds you to pray for the persecuted church or you can give $100. But I'm going to send this money to, to care for some of these children. Children are one of the hardest hit in these areas. Imagine what it's like to be a parent crying out to God and your children are going through the abuses that they're going through. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Children in Iraq, Syria, and other Muslim nations have been traumatized by ISIS and and other Islamic extremist groups. Pray for those who are helping them heal the emotional damage that's done in these places. Pray for the children in Nigeria, Colombia, and elsewhere whose parents have been killed because of their Christian faith. Pray they remain strong in the Lord. Ask for the Lord to protect children in Sudan's Nuba Mountains who are forced to flee bombs every day. And Voice of the Martyrs is trying to get in supplies for them. Parents in some countries have to choose between no education for their children or education at schools that include Islamic or communist indoctrination. 
pray for those families. I could go on and on about what these people are up against. We need to be a people who not only be praying for the Lord lead us not into temptation for ourselves, but that he would watch over them. Number eight, I mean seven on there is be granted wisdom in covert ministry work. Some of them are doing very dangerous things. I carry on this arm right here this morning a wristband that you can open it up and it's got a USB and you can disciple anyone in an Arabic-speaking country with this right here. And you can simply carry it around like a normal wristband that people carry. Why covert operations? People trying to get in there and be as sneaky as they can but so the name of the, uh, Christ can be proclaimed. But are these people even praying American church, pray for us that persecution goes away. Absolutely not. Because they understand we are in a relationship. They understand that we are subordinate. They understand that we are dependent. You want to know if they ask us to pray? That they would be faithful. Lord, lead us not in temptation. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, whatever we have to go through, that we will be faithful to the very end. Deliver us from that evil. Don't let it get the best of us. And we've got a lot of people carrying a lot of just emotional damage because of what they're going through. So whether it be trials or temptations to heresy or temptations to sin or persecutions, we are dependent and we cry out to the Lord. Even in an election year, Tuesday's a big day in the United States of America. And we cry out to the Lord and whatever comes our way, we look to him. What do we learn in a relationship like this? We are to trust in this relationship. We are to move toward. We are to submit. And we are to trust. Because he knows what he's doing in this world. But there's one final thing that I want us to pull out of this passage. And that comes from two stories that happen at the end. There are two illustrations that happen. And I want to move through these quickly. We don't have to spend a lot of time on them. But this is the provision. And notice lesson number one, we can come boldly before the Lord. I mean, we are drawn into this story, aren't we? A friend, it's midnight, I need bread, I go to my neighbor, and Jesus makes the point that when you do that boldly, even your neighbor will give you bread. And if your neighbor will give you bread, what do you think your heavenly father will do? And that's where he comes up with these incredible words where he says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. But what we have to understand here, again, let's think of all this in context of what we just went through. We are in a relationship. We are to move toward it. We are subordinate. We are to submit and we are dependent. We are to trust. Luke is making very strong spiritual application here. He's not saying, oh, Lord, I want a date to the prom. Please give me a date to the prom. Boom, I asked and it will be given. Lord, I need that lottery number. Lord, boom, $100 million. But let's even make it just a, a little bit closer to home. There can be very simple requests that we ask in our homes, too. Legitimate requests. Requests that it seems like a heavenly father would grant to us. And he doesn't. 
We've got to see all of that in the context of he knows what he's doing. We, we can trust him. And so Luke is bringing a very spiritual um, point to this. When he says, ask, that's our invitation to pray. When he says, seek, that's our invitation to pursue God and his will, his kingdom goals. And when we knock, that's a picture of coming into God's presence. The door being open and we come into his presence. Ultimately, what Luke is saying is, you want to know what you get? You get God. You get that relationship. So move toward it. You've got peace with him. You can call him your father. You ask. He's going to listen to you. But we've got to understand, he knows what he's doing in this world. God is ready to give, so ask. The disciple, aware of personal needs, asks earnestly and seeks that answer from him and brings those requests directly to God. And one is to ask with faith in God's desires to respond appropriately according to his will, what he's doing. Well, what's our second lesson? Our second lesson is we can have confidence in God's provision. In verses 11 through 13, what father among you? If the son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent. And what's the answer? None. He goes on and says, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Answer, none. If you then, who are evil, self-centered, self-preoccupied, looking out for yourself, to whatever degree the gospel hasn't worked in us, you know the point that Jesus is making You know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Whoa, where'd the Holy Spirit just come from? When you look over in Matthew, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? Now Luke puts that spiritual application to this again. And we see all of a sudden what feels like an intrusion of Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. I want the good things. I don't want the Holy Spirit. Take the Holy Spirit out. I want the good things. But when we follow what Luke is doing here, you want to know what you need more than anything? You want to know the best thing for you? It's the Holy Spirit. Because what do we get with the Holy Spirit? And we need to really develop a more robust theology of the Holy Spirit. What do we get when we get the Holy Spirit? We get God's actual abiding presence in us. The one that Jesus said is going to guide you. This is the one who's going to comfort you. He's going to be with you. And so Luke gets that little twist there and says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, the asking is connecting back up to the ask and you shall be given. To ask this Father, you can come boldly and you can be confident in what God's going to give you. Why? Because He's going to give you everything you ultimately need in the Holy Spirit to navigate your ways through this life as we await the coming again of Jesus and our glorious future with Him. We can trust Him. And so what's the lesson we learn from this? We think about that. We are to rest in this relationship. That's what this is trying to teach us, to rest in this relationship. So we end up with those four points. Actually, we are to move toward, we are to submit, we are to trust, and we are to rest. Now think about what that means for you as a person. Every day of your life, you're going to bump up against some really bizarre stuff in this world. Potentially. Not every day. Thank you, Lord. But this week, you could have some of the worst news you've ever received. 
You just don't know, do you? You could bump up against something. And what is this prayer teaching us? The prayer is teaching us when you bump up against the everyday realities of living in a fallen world, what do we do? We move toward that relationship. What do we do? We submit to that relationship. What do we do? We trust that relationship. And what does it ultimately mean? We can rest in that relationship as well. You'll notice a bulletin insert that you have. I threw this together a little while back. It was supposed to be in a Talbot blog. I don't think it ever made it there. I need to resubmit it. But this is just what I call the six hours of prayer. I sat down one day and I thought, what, is, what do I do when I pray? And this was helpful to me, and I hope it can be helpful to you as well. But the point is this. We have a Father, and we get to pray. We get to come before Him. A God who has our best interest in mind. A God who gives us the Holy Spirit. A God who's watching over us. And so I want us just to pause for a moment. Do we have those uh, last four items up there? And I just want you to think about which one of these items you need the most in your life. And then I think Scott's going to come and lead us in a closing song as well. So spend, some, spend a moment in prayer about those items.